Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented small law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through The Lawyerist Lab. And now, from the team that brought you the Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast hosts. Hey, y'all. I'm Zach Glazer. And I'm Stephanie Everett. And this is episode 473 of the Lawyers Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, Zach talks with Stephanie Valinsky and Kara Harden about how attorneys can balance striver and perfectionist tendencies with their mental health. Today's podcast is brought to you by Posh Virtual Receptionists, Net Documents, and LawPay. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support, so stay tuned and we'll tell you more about them later on. So, Zach, we are offering some new services around here that we're pretty excited about. Yes, we actually had people sign up for them at CleoCon, I think released it from beta to the public. So, yeah, what is it? Yeah, we should probably say that. (laughs) We see an opportunity for people to get help with Clio. Mm -hmm. So you've already got it implemented. You already have it installed. You've been using it. And I suspect there's something you wish it would do that you haven't figured out, either because mm-hmm. you haven't figured it out or maybe just simply you haven't had the time because right. we're, we're smart people and probably given the time and, and some resources, we could figure it out. But is that yes. really how we should be spending our time? That's funny that you say that. I, I actually, as a legal tech advisor, tell people to balance that all the time. I, and I compare it to changing the oil in your car. I can do it. But unless you're having fun doing it, it's better just to have somebody else change the oil because they're better at it. They do it faster, more efficiently. And so if you're going to do something like that, think of it as a hobby. Otherwise, get somebody that knows what they're doing to to help you with it. Yeah. And so we launched what we're calling our Clio Optimization Services. And it's a chance for people to work one-on-one with one of our legal tech advisors. And our advisors get in there and get their hands dirty and help you figure out what's not working the way you want it to work, and they then make it do that. So I suspect, (laughs) I know it sounds so silly, but I mean, this could be real needle moving things. Like there could be workflows you're not taking advantage of. I mean, from the beta testers that we originally launched this with, we were getting great reports on like time saved from the whole team, mm-hmm. work getting done faster, things being done simpler, just not being aggravated every time you go to log on to your machine and be like, oh, why isn't this thing working? Well, you forget how how much that impedes our day. But that's the goal with this is how can we just help you make Clio even better? Absolutely. And, you know, commonly I talk with people and they're saying, I wish X product and for this purposes, we'll say Clio would do this thing. And it does. It's just that you haven't turned it on, haven't utilized it appropriately. Can I say utilized on the Lawyers Podcast? I think we're supposed to say use. You haven't used it appropriately. I may get my pay docked for that. You may. I'll see to it. (laughs) Everyone's listening, wondering what the heck we're talking about. We have a strong rule around here. You can't say utilized if you really mean used. There's very Mm -hmm. few times where utilized is the appropriate word. Right, right. And that wasn't one of them, but... Sorry, Zach. No, it's okay. You can learn all these things and more if we help you optimize your Clio. (laughs) So yeah, check out one of our our Clio optimizations. 
and you can connect with us and, and get that cranking even better than it is right now. So now here is my conversation with Stephanie and Kara. Hi, I'm Kara, and I am the CEO and founder of The Practice Lab. I'm a registered psychotherapist, a former practicing attorney, and I specialize in the question, how do we have a healthy relationship with work? Hi, I'm Stephanie Belinsky. I am the deputy director at the Illinois Supreme Court Commission on Professionalism, and we really focus on promoting civility and inclusion in the profession. And one of the big areas I kind of focus my time in is lawyer well-being. So happy to be here. Y'all, thank you for for joining me. I really appreciate it. Lawyer well-being is a important topic, to say the least. I think we've written tomes about how lawyers can have unhealthy relationships with themselves, their families, their practices, and frankly, even the law. So I really appreciate y'all being here to kind of discuss, I think we can put it this way, how lawyers can have a healthy relationship with their practice. So thank you both for being here. I already appreciate you. (laughs) Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. So Kara, let's start off with you. Well, first thing, both of you are attorneys, practiced in this. You guys know these things from a practicing as an attorney standpoint, but also, Kara, you have a degree in psychology? Psychotherapy, counseling psychotherapy. So let's kind of start with you on what are some of the bad relationships that attorneys have with their practice? With work, I love the question. So about 10 years ago, I switched from law to psychology counseling, and my practice really quickly filled up with people who said to me the following things. It's Saturday morning and I can't relax. I'm always anxious. I don't know how to put my work down. I feel like every time I try and take a vacation, it is harder to go away than it is to come back. Or it's harder to go away and it's harder to come back. I have dread. Like Sundays have gotten mighty scary for me. Mm -hmm. I am having trouble resting, falling asleep, staying asleep. I am consumed by work. And I also, by the way, Kara, am doing excellent work. Like they wouldn't put it in those terms, right? But externally, externally, they would be, you know, practice group leaders and Mm -hmm. on the track to partnership and quote unquote star associates and head of their class in law school, gold medalists, all these things. And it was this strange juxtaposition right? where on the one hand, I saw people striving phenomenally hard towards high performance Mm -hmm. and also miserable. And so what I came to identify, and it's a long circle back to your, what does a bad relationship with work look like is two things. The first is strivers, people who feel most safe, secure, and like they belong when they are meeting or exceeding expectations, tend to use really binary language, like good and bad, right and wrong, these ideas. So I would nuance your question a bit and say, what does it mean to have a healthy relationship with work? And what it means involves wrestling with a paradox. The ways that you've learned to find success developmentally, the way you learn to be successful as a lawyer often leads you, if left unexamined, to feeling anxious and adequate, lonely and lost. And so a healthy relationship means examining the ways you find success. I know. I went real academic real quick. I'm so sorry, Zach. No. You're like, I need my whiteboard. I need notes. (laughs) She says that because she can see me writing on on my desk. My desk is a whiteboard. I think people feel that. I mean, I I think A, getting kind of academically into this pretty quickly, that's our audience. We trust our audience to be thoughtful and really want to kind of get into these things. But I also think that they they feel that. 
that is extremely common. Everything that you're saying there, I don't think of myself as somebody who is a striver necessarily. I think if you put me into kind of the grand scheme of the world, I may be considered that way sometimes, but in my groups, I'm not, but that still speaks to me. I'm still very anxious. You know, you, you leave and you don't necessarily want to come back or it's a little bit more difficult to come back from vacation. You, at the age of you know, 35, start taking heartburn medication because you just even change your diet. So is this examination, though, workable? Just kind of examining that, that paradox? Yeah. I mean, fundamentally, it's been my business the last 10 years. Okay. So I would say there's certainly a market for it. I would say that there are processes. <laughs> I would say there are processes that, that are in place. What it requires, though, is so one, you know, especially with the world as it is right now, of course, there are privileges mm -hmm. that are associated with being able to do this type of examination and reflection and inner work that are too important to overlook and not state explicitly privileges and access privileges and resource and, you know, privileges really, when I think of resources in time, attention, and energy, mm -hmm. there's gotta be motivation. So for example, Zach, you could be listening and be like, yeah, so I am taking that heartburn meds. I'm going to throw them in low back pain. Cause I know the audience has some members that are struggling with a bulging disc because I do, right? So mm -hmm. I'm gonna throw a little back pain in there. I'm having digestive issues. I'm just not feeling like I, I grew up with the promise of like happiness and life being fulfilled. And what right. I feel all the time is anxious and inadequate and lonely. And it may not be a problem. Like profoundly, and Stephanie and I can get into it. You are the expert on you. So if your level of anxiety and inadequacy, like if all of that going around, you're like, you know what though? Scale of zero to 10, it's a four. I'm good enough. The work involved in doing this is too much. Or scale of zero to 10, it's a nine. The work involved in doing it is too much, right? Mm -hmm. Profoundly, the answer has to be, well, I'm kind of invested in trying something different. I'm kind of invested in doing something more. So is it workable? Yes. Does it help if you have resources? Absolutely. What you need to know is what it means to you mm -hmm. to involve yourself in, let's call it, you use the word, the examination. It sounds a little bit more uh, surgeon-y <laughs> than I might hope, but also I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're lawyers. We're, we're going to use the term examination when we're talking about yeah. kind of, even if it's, even if it's internally, but it's kind of focusing on ourselves. Totally. So Stephanie, is this the type of things that you're seeing at the Supreme Court's Commission on Professionalism? You know, we, you're the deputy director right. there. Is this what you're seeing with attorneys? Is this something that is problematic from your perspective? The, you know, rules of professional responsibility, professionalism perspective is pretty important. Oh, it is. I think I'm pretty sure almost, I would say 99.9% of all lawyers can relate to what Kara just said. At the commission, we really focus on these issues pretty broadly and holistically. Obviously, we're looking at the mm -hmm. issue of civility and well-being, diversity, ethics, but they really do overlap and kind of what you're getting at, Zach, a bit with the, the model rules. Obviously, the issue of just general competence and well-being, I mean, we, you take any example. I mean, in my practice, I did legal aid work for about 15 years, and just looking back, just the times that I wasn't taking care of myself, I just know I wasn't as effective in terms of short temperedness, 
the way I probably, you know, heard things, you know, from other people, the way I said things. So it is, I like the examination too, that piece of it. It is really, I think that is one of the pieces of our education is looking at, you know, this is all going to ebb and flow, but looking at it and trying to figure out what works for you. It's funny, Zach, because you keep mentioning that you're not a striver in these ways. Mm-hmm. This is Stephanie's like, oh gosh, she's getting, Stephanie knows me way too. She's, I know where this is going. Knows, what question, what question am I about to ask? <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm just going to let you Love ask this. it. Well, I'm just really curious because I think we have gotten this idea that perfectionism looks like writing a perfect page of notes. Mm-hmm. And then on the very last word, like getting it wrong and crumpling up the paper and being like, that wasn't perfect. And I'm not done. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that is a kind of perfectionism. That's not necessarily what I think of. I think about it as this experience where we are constantly trying to be quote, the best version of ourselves. Okay. Where we are constantly aspiring to do more and where we feel most comfortable meeting expectations Like we are driven by what people expect of us. And I'm curious if that lens shifts where you feel you would fit or where parts of you fit and other parts of you don't. Yeah, I think it, I think it would. And I think that's a good point in this kind of conversation is that if that idea of perfectionist is beyond what I would call gunners, like when we were in law school, we referred to type A got to do all the things, have to get the A's, have to, to, you know, be in the middle of everything as gunners. And I certainly wouldn't consider myself that, but I generally would think, okay, that's perfectionist. That's my idea of what a perfectionist Mm -hmm. is. And I'm safe from that. Mark's safe from perfectionism, that glazer. Yeah. Yeah. The bubbles, the bubbles descended upon you. I just saw it come and just protect you from all, right, all perfectionistic right. tendencies. Yeah. But I think like getting into what you're, what you're talking about here, I have anxiety. I wake up in the middle of the night Yeah. going into court. I would have major, major anxiety because that's one of the things I can't control. I can't control what questions are going to be asked of me. Mm-hmm. It's also exciting because you can't control what questions are going to be asked of you. And when you do land that, then, you know, that works really well. But I'm not going to say I don't consider that perfectionism. I didn't consider that perfectionism. Yeah. Yeah. And and maybe, I mean, like as lawyers, we're like the best thing we can do is muddy up a term. I think what I'm, I'm hoping is that the word and whether or not it applies, the label, the category is less important or less significant than the experience you have. Right. Like, how do you relate to work? Like, for example, equal measure, thrill, terror, going to court, disproportionate measure, thrill, terror, going to court. And are those measures in alignment with your adult resources? Mm -hmm. Like, is going to court something where you show up every time and every night before you're nervous because you think my value rests upon this? My reputation rests upon this. My credibility rests upon this. I'm only as good as the last thing I do. I have to show up and impress the partnership, either because they're my partners or because I aspire to be one of their partners. Or are you thinking, gosh, I'm going to get to learn tomorrow. I'm going to get to think on my feet. I am wanting to perform well, not because my identity hinges upon my professional accomplishment, but because I would like 
to be competent and good at what I do. It's the experience behind the relationship that is most compelling to me Mm -hmm. as opposed to the word. Okay. So kind of circling back to the idea of this being kind of an examination, to use my word, an examination of the kind of paradox here. This makes more sense to me that we're not necessarily saying, okay, you have to do this thing, this thing, this thing, and you'll stop being a perfectionist and you'll be, you'll be solved. Honestly, in looking at notes for, for this episode and preparing for this, thinking of the idea of perfectionist versus striver from my standpoint, from my historical background, you know, me using the word gunners, my initial knee-jerk reaction of the word striver was a perfectionist way of being a perfect perfectionist. Interesting. So two thoughts. The first is it would be so funny to give a perfectionist a list of things they could do to be less perfectionistic. Just the act of doing it would make like, first of all, it would never get done because it couldn't be done perfectly. Right. And second of all, as if people who exist in multitudes, like there could never be a singular. I think, I think that's like, that made me chuckle. Mm -hmm. So the definition of striver came, there's a happiness researcher who used to be out of Harvard, who runs his own consulting agency named Sean Aker. Mm-hmm. And Sean Aker defines happiness as the joy you feel when reaching for your potential. Okay. And I misremembered that quote. And I was going around for years in the pandemic in particular saying, it's the joy you feel when striving okay. to reach your potential. Okay. So striving to me, it's meant to hold attention between the paradox of really reaching for something joyfully, mm-hmm. the thrill. Mm-hmm. And pushing yourself out of comfort, your comfort zone and your terror. It's meant to be an affirming and broad term that you identify in yourself more than you identify in others. And it doesn't necessarily mean external accomplishment. Mm -hmm. So a striver, for example, could be someone listening right now, looking at a pile of dishes in the kitchen and saying, I can't do that. I haven't even started. My house is a mess. And it's a mess because when I look at my house, I'm like, okay, so clean would be donate, like home resale review. I have to do this whole process. Mm -hmm. Like that is the vision I have. It doesn't have to be perfect, but I do have to execute that vision. Mm -hmm. And therefore I can't even start doing the dishes because what a waste of time. Right. So, you know, it doesn't always translate into being a gunner, which, you know, perhaps less aggressive version of that would be like a keener (laughs) just as an invitation. (laughs) So I, I worked in the, uh, tech department of the law school. And that was one of the phrases that my boss had used there. And he was like, Zach, you're you're Gunner. Gosh, that has not aged well. Let me tell you. Oh no. That has not aged well. Mm -mm. It has not. That's the thing. It's like, I I have a kind of knee jerk, like I probably shouldn't say people are, you know, probably shouldn't be having some sort of, of word for that person. So two things. One, we have to talk somehow. Mm-hmm. We have to communicate somehow. And two, I've really been lamenting and grieving the last little bit that we have lost the ability to like give one another the benefit of the doubt and ask more questions. Mm-hmm. Like the issues in the world that we are grappling with and navigating as human beings are far too complex for there to be a simple right and wrong. There's nuance, there's compassion, there's concern, there's pain everywhere. And when we use language that is binary, 
we miss the richness of one another. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you used the word. I'm glad you and I can have a discussion about it. I'm not going to convince you or anyone anything. It's just to be open to the ideas in the first place. Mm -hmm. Well, before we get too much further, Karen, Stephanie, let's take a real quick break and hear a word from our sponsors. The Lawyer's Podcast is brought to you by Posh Virtual Receptionists. As an attorney, do you ever wish you could be in two places at once? You could take a call while you're in court, capture a lead during a meeting, or schedule an appointment with a client while you're elbow deep in an important case? Well, that's where Posh comes in. Posh is a team of professional, U.S.-based, live virtual receptionists who are available 24-7, 365. They answer and transfer your calls so you never miss an opportunity. With Posh handling your calls, you can devote more time to billable hours in building your law firm. And the convenient Posh app puts you in total control of when your receptionist steps in. So if you can't answer, Posh can. And if you've got it, Posh is always just a tap away. With Posh, you can save as much as 40% off your current service provider's rates. Even better, Posh is extending a special offer to Lawyerist listeners. Visit posh.com forward slash Lawyerist to learn more and start your free trial of Posh Live Virtual Receptionist Services. That's posh.com forward slash Lawyerist. And by LawPay. Don't be the last to discover why the legal industry is raving about LawPay Pro. Say goodbye to manually recording your working hours and chasing down late payments. Accurately track time, reclaim billable hours, and get paid faster with all the billing and invoicing features you need in one easy-to-use tool. Plus, plans start as low as $19 per month per user. Visit www.lawpay.com slash lawyerist to learn more. As a lawyer... You're working with thousands of client documents, trying to improve collaboration, and looking to leverage technologies that help make your work more efficient, all while keeping your confidential data secure. Experience a better way to work with NetDocuments, the number one cloud-based document management platform for law firms of all sizes, whether you have one lawyer or dozens. Find out why law firms are increasingly making the switch to NetDocuments to secure, organize, automate, and collaborate on their most important documents, emails, and digital discussions. To learn more, visit netdocuments.com slash lawyerist. And for a limited time, Lawyerist listeners get 10% off. Check it out and get started at netdocuments.com slash lawyerist. And we're back with Kara Harden and Stephanie Valinsky. And really just to kind of make this come back together, Kara... Where are we? Oh, Zach, I'm so glad you asked me that question. I think it's really common when we first start to dig into our relationship with work to feel disoriented. Mm -hmm. So we started with this idea that maybe how we relate to work is worth examining, either because we're anxious, we feel inadequate, we feel lonely, we feel disconnected. And you and I spent a bit of time going through what that might look like in your life, but also what it could look like for other people. I think we've really adhered to this definition of perfectionistic that may or may not apply. And still our relationship with work can shift. I really want to lean on Stephanie sort of on where we go next, because Stephanie and I did a session together recently, and we had a real life example Mm -hmm. of how we can start in a very real way to do this examination without, you know, a 10 day retreat with silence and all of these things, like how in a very practical way do we start to reimagine and shift our relationship with work? Yeah. How can somebody do that now? So Stephanie, what what is it that you guys were 
we're doing? Yeah, so at the commission, we do a big conference every year called The Future Is Now, and definitely takes up pretty much several months of work. And I, Kara oh, gave gave a speech and I was introducing her and then I was going to interview her. So during my introduction, which I felt like I was nailing it, all of a sudden, <laughs> Kara pops on and I'm like, why is she on? And she's like, oh, Stephanie, you're on mute. Right. There's like over 700 people on this conference. The whole team's like here. I'm just like. <laughs> Oh, man. And we're three years into the pandemic. Like, haven't I learned anything? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what's going through my head. Then I, like, regroup. I totally fumble Kara's intro. But luckily for me, she was doing a 30-minute talk, so I could, like, kind of regroup a bit. But, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. I will admit, I mean, there was definitely expletives at myself <laughs> and, and various but I'm you know I I was somehow able to somewhat pull it together and be like this is what your speaker is talking about right now so let's come to reality but yeah I mean this is the hardest part of the well-being stuff Zach I think you hit on it it's like what can you do right I think mm-hmm. you hear all these things like create these boundaries all of this. And I, sure, that's great, but I know a lot of people can't create boundaries, right? And I mean, it's just the practice of law. I mean, that's a larger conversation, but I think, you know, for me, I could just give the examples during that. I was able to, Kara did some like physical kind of exercises where we kind of turned our heads and kind of to get you back focused. And just like, Mm -hmm. it's just simple things like that. I got, like, I stood up, (laughs) I walked around, yeah, because I was like in it. I was just like in the rabbit hole, like swimming. And I'm like, I got to get mm-hmm. out of this. So just like simply like standing up, but also just I think realizing too, like once Kara got back on, we kind of did a whole thing with it. And it's just like people in the comments were just so genuinely nice. Like, oh my God, it didn't matter, right? You know, I think someone emailed me like, you know, did you do that on purpose? Because it was so like, so it's kind of <laughs> like one of those things, if I can forgive, you know, if they are, they're not worried about it, I need to just forgive myself about it mm-hmm. as well. So it's, you know, kind of those general ideas too. So is that one of the things kind of in this examination, the forgiving yourself? I would definitely say so, because I do think as attorneys, I mean, Kara probably knows the dad even better than I, resiliency is not our strong suit. And (laughs) so to, to really kind of not just wallow in, you know, that, that argument could have been better. This could have been done. Yeah. I do think you, you have to kind of get that forgiveness in pretty quickly to, you know, get out of it that because it just, you can really get bogged down with it. I mean, it's really interesting, Stephanie, to hear it because I, I know you and I have talked about it from multiple perspectives. I, I was really glad because what happens is like, essentially, we all know the experience of pouring our precious time, attention and energy into work and then something happening and we perceive our performance to be in some way insufficient that happens. Like that's the nature of work for whatever reason. And then when we talk about shifting our relationship with work, a lot of intervention will happen with how you do the work itself. Mm -hmm. And what you've pointed out, Zach, and what you and I, Stephanie talked about the whole time is like, that's actually not 
the lever you need to pull. If you're a mm -hmm. high performer, you'll figure out your work. The lever you need to pull is how you relate to yourself as you're working. Mm. And as lawyers, we've been taught to be really harsh on ourselves and on other people, like really harsh. And so our natural instinct is to criticize and to worry and to anticipate and overthink. And in that moment, for example, when you're on mute, all of those thoughts come in. How could I miss that? What was I thinking? This is so embarrassing. How, you know, how will I ever recover? What a waste of time. I've misrepresented my organization. I've misrepresented my team. Like all of this comes flooding. And it's like, oh, so the first step is like noticing I'm being really hard on myself. And then the next step in the moment is like, what tools do you reach for mm -hmm. that help you shift this age old dialogue inside? And so what Stephanie was talking about is like, Sometimes you can't meet a thought with a thought. Like okay. if you're having a really big feeling like embarrassment, you need to meet a feeling with a feeling. So you're embarrassed. And in that moment, you go, you're like, man, I deserve some compassion right now. That was really embarrassing. I'm so bummed for myself after all that hard work. And then when you feel a little compassion, there might be room in your brain to rethink, well, was it actually that bad? Look at this. The comments are blowing up. Look at Kara. She's made like a big example of it. People think I'm doing this on purpose at this point. <laughs> so you want to work with your body, like meeting feelings with feelings as opposed to with thoughts, which is, you know, I can't believe we're already X minutes in now and we haven't used the word feeling yet, but it's a word that tends to be really avoided in the legal industry mm -hmm. and shows up at the heart of work because work is an intensely personal process. So I love that you landed in forgiveness because it's our relationship with ourself where we want to start intervening and examining. Right. So this is fascinating to me. When we are re-examining our relationship with work, many times we will literally examine our relationship with work, our temporal relationship with work. So what we say is work-life balance. You know, should we be at work as much? And I think in the beginning of this episode, some of the things you were saying were confusing to me, which is not difficult to do. But some of the things you were saying were confusing to me because I'm working in that paradigm of if we're going to have a shift in our relationship with work, then it's going to be temporal. It's going to be physical. It's going to be something like that. But what we're really saying is shifting in our kind of almost emotional relationship with work, our emotional relationship with ourselves and work, you know, how we address it. Because one of the things I've gotten from this is that we don't necessarily need to say, okay, well, I'm a high performer. I have some stress. I have some stress going into court. So for me, I have some stress going into court. Okay. So you got stress. Okay, fine. Not deal with it. You know, not, not like, well, rub a little dirt on it, you know, get back out there, buddy. But is that okay? Are you fine? What's going on? Are you doing good enough work in order for that to be okay? A hundred percent. And someone listening to you right now is going to be like, okay, Zach, what if I decide it isn't? Mm -hmm. Like, what if you've just blown my mind and I now realize I have these experiences of anxiety, inadequacy or loneliness, whatever. And I don't just have to like buck up mm -hmm. and like pull up my bootstraps and like do it. Right. What do I do then? So I would lean into your expertise as in, I'm going to give you a bunch of options now, listener, and I want you to pick the one that makes you feel like 
excited and energized and the one you're going to do it. There is a series of books by Brene Brown. Brene Brown's a researcher out of the University of Houston. Mm-hmm. She writes Dare to Lead. She writes The Gifts of Imperfection. She has a lot of books. Just take a glance at the one that you find most exciting. Okay. They're research-driven, evidence-based you know, based ways to consider your relationship with yourself and how you show up at work, right? So mm-hmm. the intervening with yourself in a really sweet way. In particular, it talks about vulnerability. I know it's a big word. She dispels that it's a myth. It's actually a strength. So Brene Brown's one route. Another route is it turns out therapists like myself are really good at helping you pick apart what's okay and what's not okay in your life Mm -hmm. and to give you practical ideas and tools on how to navigate it. Another thing you can do, which could be really helpful, is start moving more. The body processes stress before the brain does. Stress is a physiological response. Okay. And so if you're feeling a lot of stress, consider moving. I have a gajillion other ideas, but let's stop at three. <laughs> Fair enough. Let's not be overwhelming here. Fair enough. Yeah. Let's not uh, give people too many options that they can just kind of go down. I will add, I'm a big proponent of go and talk to somebody because every time I have been to a counselor, a professional, I have seen benefit. And I've been many times just to to go on the record with them. Like I've been many times and, and have seen benefit. And I think it's a good thing to, to do. So I really appreciate you saying that aspect of this. So talk to somebody about it. If it is not what you want, then talk to somebody about it. Absolutely. Well, and the really cool thing about therapy is it gets to be about like finding a good hairstylist. Yes. You just stick with me here. Like there are as many different therapists as there are people. And so there are going to be people that feel like they do your hair and you're like, this is awful, but it will be an objectively good cut, Mm -hmm. but you will Mm -hmm. be like, I do not like this for me. That is not therapy for you then. It doesn't mean therapy is wrong. It means that that wasn't a fit. You want to find a therapist where it's like you walk out of that hair visit, (laughs) salon, at home, backyard, wherever you're getting. And you're like, I am a million dollars right now. This is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. I look and amazing. That's what you want. And when you leave your therapist, you want to feel seen and understood and valued. And like you have that commiserate relationship. Right. So if you have found value in therapy, it's because you've had excellent fits. You have found people that resonate with you and your style. And so it can be a bit of work, oh, but yeah. I recommend putting in the work, knowing that like, if it isn't a positive experience, you're not the problem. Right. The therapist isn't the problem. You need a different vibe and that's okay. That's fantastic. That's absolutely right. I don't want to completely end on that, even though that is a fantastic thing to end on. I don't think it sums up our our podcast here. <laughs> With the haircuts? No. <laughs> I don't know. Like, do you guys want to end on that? I actually, I mean, I like it. I really like that as the point to go off of. I mean, so I think the through line, if we if we had a through line through everything, the fundamental thing is you get to be the expert on you in ways that you may never have realized. You get to be the expert on who is a fit for therapy, on whether or not your anxiety is manageable, Mm -hmm. on whether or not your stress is something you want in your day-to-day life, on whether you're happy with your vacation arrangements. Like you get to be the expert on what you want and what you need. It just requires you to notice yourself, to examine yourself, to pay attention to your preferences, your values, your needs, your wants, your dreams, your desires, not from a temporal spatial way, mm-hmm. but from an emotional, spiritual, social, psychological way. 
I don't think I could say anything more on that. I appreciate that. Kara, thank you so much. This has been a, at least from my standpoint, this has been an eye-opening and great conversation. Stephanie, I, I appreciate it as well. And I appreciate both of your candor in all of this and your vulnerability and walking with me through here and whether I'm kicking and streaming or not, but bringing me from one perspective to another. So I really appreciate y'all's, y'all's conversation here today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. I appreciated your openness and vulnerability. And Stephanie, as always, your very practical, grounded presence. The Lawyerist Podcast is edited by Brittany Felix. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discuss here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com forward slash book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com forward slash community forward slash lab to schedule a 10 minute call with our team to learn more. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.